Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. On the show today, we welcome Dan White, the author of the Smart Marketing Book and the Soft Skills Book. We discuss how to design a career in marketing and the soft skills that can make you successful. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasilis Duros, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. So today on the show, we are talking about designing a career in marketing. And I'm really excited. We've got V uh, and Dan White, special guest Dan White, joining us <laughs> today. So thanks for uh, jumping on the call today, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, awesome. So we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff, um, you know, like about marketing careers. And I think it's a really interesting point in time for, for people in marketing. Um, there's so much that's changing. There's so much dynamic uh, it's a dynamic field in that technology is really ramping up. You've got consumer behavior that people are starting to get into. There's all kinds of science happening and marketing itself is a blend of all these disciplines um, that kind of go into trying to influence and understand people. Um, and so when we talk about building a career in marketing, we've got the three of us here, which I am, I'm super excited about because we've all had similar but different uh, paths. And I think we're all still, each one of us is looking at, um, you know, what's the next thing that we're going to be doing and what kinds of skills do we want to develop. So that's really a big part of the conversation today. I'm just going to do a quick intro for you guys and feel free to correct me if I'm missing major things. Uh, but first we got Vasilis or V, um, who's currently the digital marketing head at Deloitte Digital, formerly the head of regional performance marketing at WestJet. And also one of the senior leaders uh, in digital and retail. Um, and we work together via Sportcheck, yeah. FGL, and Canadian Tire. And then you also had spent time uh, in the online betting world yeah. running ads. Yeah. Uh, our special guest today, Dan, uh, Dan White, is a brand consultant and trainer, author of a few books. Um, one of them is super relevant to today's conversation in that. Uh, the soft skills book is um, the key difference to becoming highly effective and valued, which is a really, really great book, along with your other one, the smart marketing book, because I love them. They're like yeah. super tangible, very action oriented, small, like, you know, you can just read each little section and just help you out. And they're great. Um, Dan, you're also the former head of expertise at, at Kantar Market Research. That's right. uh, CMO of Millward Brown, strategic marketing and management consulting firm, um, and now author and consultant. So that's right. Really excited to have you guys on the call today. Happy to be here. Thank you both. It's awesome. Yeah, two consultants. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why don't we start with V? Because you were the one that kind of got us on this path. Um, yeah. So why don't you kind of get us started? <clears throat> No, I'll... why are we here? Why are we talking about a marketing career? Why are we doing a roundtable today? No, this yeah. is awesome. And first of all, Dan, thanks for accepting our invitation and, and being on the show here with us. Uh, sure. Genuinely excited to um, to hear your POV as well. Um, so it would have been, especially by the time this this podcast airs, would have been almost a good two months before I resigned from my previous role being there at, at WestJet. And what I found is 
when it, when I finally announced the my resignation, I was inundated with a lot of one-on-one meetings, and a lot of people just started, you know, reaching out, say, hey, you know, good luck on your next uh, on your next adventure, if you will. But those conversations quickly pivoted into advice sessions, and maybe it's because now I've gotten into that point in my career where I can provide advice. I, I never thought I um, I got there, but I am, and. The, the fascinating thing is everyone's questions were around, how should I look at my career? What should I be doing differently? How do I make sure I, I, I bulletproof myself in a way that an organization doesn't just put me in a little box? And, and it was really fascinating to hear their point of view or where they were struggling. And the genesis of this idea is like, you know what? We have experience. Um, Dan, you've written a book. Um, I think it's a great topic to kind of, you know, bring up and especially with, you know, the environment today, the great resignation, all these things that um, I think just talking about career, and how we structure, especially in the marketing context is a very timely one. And one I know a lot of our listeners will get a lot out of. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll just throw this out to both you guys and I can jump into, but how did you get to where you are today? Maybe like it's a, it feels like a bit of an interview question. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me about Tell your me. past. <laughs> but maybe, Dan, we'll start with you. Like, how did you get to becoming an author? Did you think you were going to be an author and a consultant when you first started out bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the, in the world? <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't really know what I was going to become. Um, I had no idea. I um, I just needed a job within about, you know, driving distance of where my a fiance at the time was studying to, to do a postgraduate uh, teacher training, and uh, there weren't that many jobs. Um, and I, I, you know, I thought, oh, those look interesting. So, uh, you know, I applied mm-hmm. to be an accountant. I applied to be a graphic designer, which is interesting because I've finally come back to a little bit of that these days. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, another one was was as a market researcher in Leamington Spa, which is where Millwall Brown was based. So there's a bit of luck in terms of the, the, the you know. The, I didn't have a, a clear goal at the time, but it, mm-hmm. but I suppose my ambition kind of evolved over time as I realised, yeah, there's a lot to learn here, and it's 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 so interesting. There's so much to learn, um, mm-hmm. and I'll just take it step by step. And so, my, my philosophy has always been: so long as I'm stimulated and I'm learning new things every day, yeah. literally, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not exaggerating. Then I'm probably yeah. this will probably help me out at some point in the future, and it and it did. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's my. If 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 that is an approach, then that that's that's the one I. Yeah. Well, I think so. That's great. V, how about you? Yeah, it's funny because um, when I when I finished well high school, going into university, my my first inclination was you know I wanted to become a teacher, and it's I really did enjoy being around people, speaking, and I, I never ever really had that problem. Um, but I quickly realized when I was in school that I didn't have that passion that I was required for it. So then I pivoted into um, sports marketing and it kind of brought together two of my worlds because I did an elective during school in, in marketing. So it kind of piqued my interest. And uh, I always loved sport. Um, and marrying those two was kind of like my, um, I guess, my my calling. But quickly in my career, I've only done sport really once. Uh, my career took me elsewhere. And I think that's something that when I look back on, you can only plan for so much of it. 
And there's things that are going to happen in your life that will likely take you in different directions because as long as you stay curious um, and open to those opportunities, I think, you know, there's, you can define a framework and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit today, but also just enjoy the process. So I think for me, it was like, I, I kept, um, you know, I was working overseas, uh, worked for the Athens 2004 Olympic games, essentially at my first corporate job out of, out of school, which was again, my only real sports tie. Um, but then work went into assistant brand management. I went agency side. I went, that's where I learned digital and that mm-hmm. took me in a whole different direction, but it was just a byproduct of just staying flexible. And like Dan said, just constantly uh, feeling that you're learning something. And that's here I am today. Mm-hmm. How about you, Mark? Uh, well, so I joke about this um, a little bit, but it's kind of true. <laughs> so that uh, For a long time, I thought I was going to be a doctor growing up because my grandfather was. And then, um, and I like science and all that. So I did science in high school and focused on biological science in university. And then found out um, there was really only one school that didn't care how good my marks were. So <laughs> I didn't get in there from med school. So I ended up um, with a science degree, trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. And then my uncle had a, a connection with a pharmaceutical department or a pharmaceutical company. I ended up becoming a pharma rep. Um so there's a little funny story there, but then I just, at that point I got into it and I really liked it, but I explored, um, had to go into the head office for a couple of marketing, what do you call them? Like, uh, Training. 10 years, like, yeah, okay. well, like it was a part of the marketing department for a period of time, okay. like for two, two to three weeks at a time. So we was working on them cross training, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. And then. I was in, but I was in sales, which in pharma is more like face-to-face marketing because in Canada, you don't actually get a bill of sale from a lot of people. And then, um, and so then I really wanted to close a deal. So then I went into uh, broadcast media and I really liked the learning about advertising and I didn't really know anything about advertising at that point. So I just started mm-hmm. learning advertising the same way I was learning mm-hmm. science, which was through journals. And then I started blogging and trying to, through my sales process realized like cold calling sucks <laughs> and it's really not a great way to differentiate yourself because everyone else does it. So then I built this inbound lead gen funnel and then ended up like, that's how I created leads, which is kind of how it got me into digital. And then, um, then I, from there went into just started following my passion and about that time, um, I made this choice where I was like, I, re- I realized that I started, getting really excited about things like Dan, to your point about, you know, um, wanting to learn every day, there's things that I got really excited about. And then I realized that, and this sounds corny, but it's true. I started getting goosebumps for some things and I didn't for other things. So then I legitimately started making decisions based on whether I got goosebumps or not. That's nice. That's awesome. So then I went out and started my own agency without a clue what that (laughs) meant or how to even do it. And then from there, was looking for a big client. And then that's when you and I met V because we, that's when I got hired on at uh, FGL and Sport Check. And then, yeah, I just kept following my passions. And, and so the next things I was wanting to learn, I was trying to piece the things together so that then I went into the agency again because I wanted to take on more of a leadership role and building something right. from the ground up. So, yeah, it's been, um, 
it's long journey um, to get to where I am, but I just always kind of like you, Dan, I always wanted to learn things and in marketing, there's so much to learn. And yeah. so I just kind of found my passion just back ended into it. There's so much depth in the discipline, if I'm honest, um, especially now with um, obviously the, the digital component of it <clears throat> has probably set marketing in a totally different course than maybe what it, where it was going originally. And I think because of that, you, you still have your traditional brand marketers, if you will, or marketing what was the traditional marketing set. Uh, but now you have that digital influx, even though Mark and I will constantly argue, and I'm sure, Dan, you would you'd agree with this. It's just marketing in 2022 now, the part of digital. But mm-hmm. all too often, you still see that the, the organization separating the two because they are we're still dealing with a lot of legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting in, you know, in, in your book there, Dan, you, you have um, you, you, when you're talking about like choosing your career, right? You have like kind of three buckets. Your first bucket is like things you are going to be good at. The second being things you find rewarding. And then finally you have things that pay enough because let's not forget, we still need to get paid and make sure that we're making some sort of lifestyle. Right. Um, how did you get to those three things? Well, I, I should be honest, and I am well, honest in the book. I explain the origin of, of, of that diagram because it's actually a, a Japanese approach um, mm-hmm. called, apologies in advance for the pronunciation, but I think it's Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. And actually okay. the, the, the most common version of that is, uh, uh, it's actually got four circles. Yeah, so so Venn diagram with four circles, and and the one the one I, I I guess I've collapsed two of those into one. I mean, the original one has things that make you happy, and then things that the mm. world needs, mm-hmm. which is very mm-hmm. it's the same same broad thinking. I, I just think actually, it, what the world needs will determine probably whether you find it rewarding if you want to contribute to the world, <laughs> and what the world needs yeah. means you, you should be able to be rewarded for it. So it's I'm always in the lookout for taking classic diagrams, classic thinking, classic frameworks and making them even simpler and clearer. But yeah, mm-hmm. I just, when I came across that, again, I'm a magpie. So when I came across that, these concepts, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is so obviously oh right. I mean, isn't it? Something, it's obvious, but only once you've seen it, like like so many. Totally. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, of course, of course, because, you know, we, we need money to live. So that's going to have to be part of it, or, you know, a certain minimum amount to survive at least. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's good if you can be good at the thing. You don't have to, what I think is important is it doesn't have to be something you're good at right now because if you've got a growth mm-hmm. mindset and, and you're prepared to make the effort, you could get good. So long as you're interested in it, mm-hmm. you get good at almost, yeah. almost anything, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the other one. And then obviously, if you want to be happy, it's going to be something you, you personally get, like Mark says, something you get goosebumps out of. It's yeah. So I just thought, oh, that's that's got to go in because if, you know, you ask me, well, you're probably going to ask me at the end because I've seen the outline of questions. You know, what would you tell your younger <laughs> self, but I'm going to say it now anyway, which is that I would say focus on those things. Focus on you know, yeah. doing, some, doing something good and rewarding for yourself and for others and, you know, think about money, not too much, but enough. Mm-hmm. And enough not, to make a living. Yeah, you have to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you guys ever made a career decision because of money? Like, has has that ever been the primary decision for something? Well, definitely not the author one. I'll tell you that much. Absolutely not. No, let me think. 
I'm trying to be honest and think if, if ever it was a temptation. Maybe, or at least maybe swayed a bit more than it should have been. Um, I've been in mm-hmm. a few times where I've been in a kind of a leadership role, as in running, leading a big function, a team, uh, especially if it's yes. a mm-hmm. commercial unit. You know, we have a, a P&L, you have to drive the sales and stuff. And that never really motivated me. But I, did, I have been in, you know, I did take those roles on and they were attractive roles from a financial point of view. But I also had the opportunity yeah. in those roles to um, to coach and train large numbers of people as part of the leadership role. So that was, right. that was kind of in my mind as well. But uh, no, yeah. not, not certainly not more recently. No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, I would say that I actually haven't taken a role for money uh, at any point in my career. Um, and I'm not just saying that for, for the sake of the podcast. I, I genuinely mean that. I think I've always been very, very self-aware that I, ha- I have my own plan. I have my own goals that I've set for myself. And I understand the inherent need that I may need to do things laterally that may pay the same, may pay under, mm-hmm. but I'm building towards something bigger. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, I've always kind of selected key points in time where I cash in on that experience. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say I would would have taken a role just solely based on on the monetary side of it. It's genuinely, um, it's adding something more to what I'm doing. Oh yeah, there it is, Dan. Yeah. Oh yeah, you just made me think of um, the climbing wall analogy that I mentioned yeah. just earlier. Um, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in retrospect, <laughs> and well, at least halfway through my career, I kind of realized, you know, to get really good at stuff and to keep developing and progressing. You need you, yeah. you do need to broaden your skills. You do actually, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And actually, to, to especially at sort of higher senior levels within, I think most organisations, you need to have a broad set of skills rather than a, a specialist necessarily a specialist set of skills. So I, I think of it as a, like a climbing wall. You know, where each of the, mm-hmm. I think they're called biscuits. Are they called biscuits? Oh, I don't know. Like those handholds and stuff that you would have on a climbing wall? or Yeah, exactly. The handholds, the, the grippy bits. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've got, I just, the word biscuit came into my head. Let's go with it. It's a biscuit. It's now a biscuit. <laughs> I'm Googling it. So if you want to get up the, to the top of the climbing wall, you don't, it's not always possible to go directly up. You know, sometimes it's going to be either right. easier or, or or more comfortable, <laughs> or, or yeah. you know, or less of a strain, uh, or less of a risk, uh, rather than leaping and hoping you'll grab something yeah. and then falling, to go sideways. You know, people talk about a sideways move as if that's a bad thing when you're going in your career. No, if, if a sideways move means you're going to develop some new skills and have new experiences, yeah. then you're going to learn. Then the sideways move is might, might be a better, quicker way to get high um, in the longer run. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good point. Like when I think about in, cause I spent the first half of my career in sales and then I switched over to marketing and that was a sideways move. Like, I mean, financially, I mean, it was backwards in some ways cause I left sales to start my own agency and that yeah. was definitely backwards in terms of <laughs> financials. Um, and, and to be honest, like, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't build the next great um, agency. So in some respects, like I felt like it was a failure, but in, in with time and perspective now, like there's, I did, I'm really proud of the work that I did there. And I'm, I learned a ton about all kinds of stuff. I mean, even during that period of time, I was also 
teaching at uh, one of the schools, Mount Royal College, um, teaching people social media. And so weirdly enough, like I run into people that I taught back then now. And there's, I mean, it's just really interesting seeing the impact that I had made, even though in that moment in time, if you look at my financial success, I would have said that's awful. Um, but I learned tons. And so it was an invaluable period of time yeah. for having made a sidestep or a backward step even. Um, and, and I think one of the things that uh, really prompted me to make that kind of a leap of faith was that I had been in a place in pharma where almost instantly you show up at like these sales meetings and you get the, get to the back of the room at the bar and you sit and chat with some people and they're like, Oh, you just missed it. And they're like, what? I'm like, and they're like the good old days. I'm like, really? Like, this is my first job. This looks pretty awesome to me. And then they would go on on these tales. And then I moved into ra uh, radio and TV broadcast media. And they're like, oh, same thing. You go to these sales conferences. Oh, you just missed it. What? The good old days. And like, so I just had had like eight, what would have been 16 years or 14 years of people going, oh, you just missed it. And then I saw digital come in. I'm like, I got to get in on the ground floor of that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think it could be something pretty interesting. So, yeah, sometimes like sidesteps or backward steps, actually, I think to your point, Dan, they can be super valuable. Totally. Um, so in your careers then, what would you guys say is like some of the things that have helped you the most, like soft skills, if we're going to go down that path, like the things that you felt you needed to learn or um, improve that helped you get to the next level, next step? I think well, I'll, I'll kick us off here and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll all have a level of agreement here. I think the biggest one for me is, um, and because I, I, I played sports throughout my life, something like teamwork came very naturally to me, but looking at it in the context of, of business or working, in my opinion, that teamwork and adapt adaptability are probably the two largest or two most important soft skills I think that you can you really have because, well, let's just take the last couple of years, COVID, probably the biggest pivot that mm -hmm. anyone has ever has and ever seen across many industries. I was fortunate and I do consider myself fortunate working for the airline industry during such a very difficult period because Mark, like you, learned so much. You learned so much mm -hmm. about crisis management, learned so much about yourself, myself in this case. Um, so I, I use that and fuel like essentially my 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 new perspective but i needed to be adaptable during that time so for me teamwork and adaptability are probably the two most important soft skills if i were just to to label them because those actually help you create longevity in your career mm -hmm. in my opinion yeah i've got i've got a few um i'm not sure which ones are more just personality traits versus actual skills that you can acquire i mean i think in terms of personality traits and V, you've already mentioned this one, is um, curiosity and or mm -hmm. growth mindset, which are pretty connected, really. But, you know, yeah. the, mm -hmm. being curious, and, and I guess you can foster your own sense of curiosity. So, you know, it is a skill you can learn, um, has been absolutely vital because this, yeah. you know, the desire to try and understand things really, is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, some people call it, you build your own your worldview and try to make it all fit together. Because then you can look for mm -hmm. patterns, and I just being curious about not just going, oh, I don't understand that, but that's fine. But actually trying to understand, I think, is very yeah. it's been really helpful to me. 
but I think that in terms of skill that I, uh, I think I had to learn, or at least it was revelation when someone told me how bad I was at it and realized I could do better is it's listening skills. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, and I, again, I, I say this a few times, but in my book, I, there's a chapter early on, a section early on about listening skills. And like in any book like this, you, you should back reference, you know, when, when you're building on a concept from earlier in the book or somewhere else in the book, you, you reference it. And, yeah. and this is the listening skill section was the one that I ref, back referenced by more, more, more often than any other, because it's kind of, it's the, it's the building block of so many other things. It's the building block of being a good manager or a good coach. It's a building block of yeah. building yeah. a strong team. It's the building block of uh, communicating effectively in presentations and persuading people to, you know, buy into your your company services, it, it's fundamental. Yeah, I think the moment when I realised you can, there are techniques, there are things you could do to be better, to be a, yeah. a more a- active listener, was an absolute revelation. And I think that transformed my career. It literally transformed. Yeah, my career. about the way that. through it, I was yeah. enough to, you know, uh, no questions. No question. It is. A- such an important one. I mean, I, I remember way back when we did some kind of sale, sales training and they're like, okay, well, when somebody says something, here's how you listen. Actively, active listening. I think it was what active it was. Listening. Yeah. So somebody says something and I think your, your book has something like this model, Dan, but um, it was, somebody says something, then you repeat back to them. Let me just make sure if I got this right. Is that right? And then they confirm it. And, then, you, def- and then you've. Definitely one of the useful things um, that, that help with active listening. I, th- I think there are other things you can do as well and before that. Um, I'll, I'll take you through it because, I mean, I, I, I'm an evangelist about this completely. Um, yeah. My, my version, I mean, obviously there, there are different ways of, of memorising what to do, but I call that they're P's because so many things begin with a P. It's always the five mm-hmm. P's or the 10 C's. It's always those. Um, the five P's of active listening. Yeah, the first one is paying attention. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what? Look into people's what? eyes. Sorry, that couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, pay attention. That was a joke. Dad joke. Terrible <laughs> 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 dad Actually, I mean, before this, it's just don't say a lot, don't talk too much. That's actually the simplest one is listen, don't talk. But anyway, yeah, but pay attention. You know, um, mm-hmm. if you really want to make it really clear you're listening, then you look into people's eyes and you, you lean forward, you know, and you give them eye contact. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the second piece is probe. So it's the, it's the classic. It's the, mm-hmm. the open questions, the, the, the W's, including the HW. <laughs> you know, you are, those mm-hmm. are just don't say anything, just ask. Seek to understand. Mm-hmm. Keep probing, keep yeah. asking for, for, for more. Mm-hmm. And the third piece is quite an important one. That is pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we all played along to that one. Thank you. <laughs> the poor, mm-hmm. the good silence. And, uh, the, good training. GPs say this. GPs say this. They say that often the thing that's really troubling someone or is the matter with someone is what, what, what often they tell you as they're leaving. You know, sometimes people don't immediately have the courage to say what's really on their mind. But a pause, it means I'm waiting. I'm here for you. I'm, you know, I've got mm-hmm. time. I'm, I'm not rushing this. And if you want to tell, and also people like to fill pauses. Also, it gives them mm-hmm. a second to actually realise what it is that's really troubling. Exactly. Yeah. So there's multiple reasons why leaving almost much longer pauses than you would naturally think of leaving in your normal conversation mm-hmm. is absolutely vital. Um, then the one that you just mentioned, Mark, playback. Yeah, you you play back mm-hmm. in 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 your words what they've what you you've understood that they've said. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously that, that 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 kind of well, a it shows that you must be mm-hmm. listening, and in fact putting your words yeah. is even better because it means you've properly you know you're not just saying their way. It's like, okay, they get me. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah. also, if you're wrong, if you summarise it and you've missed some important aspect, they've got the chance to clarify, and you, you'll learn something yeah. better. And then the, the final P is is not always necessary, actually, but it's present possibilities. So you know you don't tell mm-hmm. people what to do necessarily, but you say, well, it's the what ifs, isn't it? You give them a well, okay. Yeah. Well, you say, well, w- would you consider doing such and such? Or what if we did this? Mm-hmm. Or what if that happened? Or what? Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I use that so much that framework, and also the mm-hmm. more you use it, the more it just becomes the way you interact. Yeah. It, there's a, a a guy I know named uh, Vince Fowler, and he he had this line that I still use all the time. It's communication isn't what you say; it's what they hear. And so, it, unless you're doing the probe yeah. and you're doing the pot, like you sometimes you don't know what they heard. So, like asking people to repeat back as a mm-hmm. person speaking is also super helpful because it's helping you confirm the communication, which is exactly what you, which is great, which you do as well for effective delegation. Again, that element of playing back is vital because it, mm-hmm. it, you ask someone to play back what you've asked them to do effectively or what, what yeah. ask is, then you can, you can see whether they've got it or not and clarify if they haven't. So again, um, you know, that's just one the, of many subsequent frameworks. Yeah. Yeah. Listening. The pause, the pause part also is really helpful i've seen because you get in these some some situations and i know you've got lots of stuff in here dan in the book about um managing conflict so as an example like that's a tough one and i think that's one it's certainly something that i think is a soft skill that is one that i'll always have to work on but it's certainly a important one because there's always going to be some kind of conflict Mm um not not like in every single day of your working career but there's throughout your career, there's going to be some kinds of conflict because not everybody's going to yeah. agree. So how do you address those things? And the pause, I think often is one of those little hacks that I've used that helps. Um, Cause if I don't agree with someone, like I often don't have to respond right away. So then I use a pause just to mm. process, mm. give myself a bit of like a couple seconds of time just to think about what I want to do and what I want to say, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. And then even, there's a um, a guy that I used to work with that had this, he was masterful at it. He had this idea where he's like, I always thought he was the smartest guy in the world. Uh, but he would say things like, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more about that. And then that's kind of a pause too, where I was just like, oh, geez, that's brilliant. Like, yeah, tell me I more. should use that. Oh, going, that is my favorite. Yeah. I've got a few lists of those kind of, in the book, you know, little, little tips of things. Tell me more is the perfect one. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You're right. It yeah. is just a pause. It gives a chance for people to literally, do. and it's non-judgmental. It's, it shows you're interested. Yeah. Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah. Oh, I use that all the time with clients, yeah. especially for some reason. Always. Oh, tell me more. Because yeah. you get you, what what happens. You, you tend to hear the next layer, the context. The tell me more mm-hmm. will be the thing that they're interested in, and the tell me more will be because their boss is passionate or concerned or whatever, yeah. and you get to that mm-hmm. next deeper level of understanding. Essentially, double clicking into that thought process, and yeah. I love that you, we've kind of narrowed in on pause because I do agree it's probably one of the most powerful things that you can use in in any interactions, either diffusing situations or just giving opportunity or someone the space or the platform mm-hmm. to really kind of speak their mind. Um, you know, one thing I find interesting about pause 
is, and Dan, you, you kind of touched on this, is how willingly people are willing to go down that second wave of thought. Yeah. Right. If the initial mm-hmm. wave is, you know, issuing a problem statement, yeah. surface level, whatever you want to call it. But the moment you give them that platform to go at it again, all of a sudden, it's like they're they're opening up to you and they're giving you everything. Yeah. In the, which is incredible. The emotional context tends to come second. It, you know, like more yeah. naturally when you ask them, they'll, they'll, you know, human nature is you, you, you focus on the facts more. Yeah. Um, yeah. The functional aspects of whatever it is. But then the tell me more is often what's behind it and behind it as yeah. mm-hmm. motives and, and concerns. There's a few um, other things that I, and I'm just kind of scanning through some of the diagrams you have, Dan, which has prompted me to think about some of the soft skills that I think are really important in line with communication. Uh, you talk about the principles of good visual design mm. and V and I joke all the time about how really in marketing, it's not really about marketing. Like our job is actually making decks. Um, <laughs> oh, so, no, don't say that. No, no, I know, but there's just like, there's always a report is my point. And so, but like, I do think that's been something that's, I like when I reflect on, I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, visualization, like mm. how, not my own visualization, but how do I visualize the story that I'm trying to tell? Because you can draw all kinds of graphs and charts, but they're not always meaningful. Mm. And you can pack a deck or a report with all kinds of copy, but it also can just wash over people and they just don't pay attention to it. So for me, visual design has been one that I know for sure I've been thinking about a lot. It's, I think it's, yeah, it's like, there's so many different layers to visual, you know, storytelling and, and, and use of visuals because, you know, you can have a visual that will just be a bit more interesting, you know, a more interesting way. Like you can, you can, you can do a little graph or you can pull out the 96% and, and, and put yeah. in like font a hundred in the screen. Yeah. Know, okay, that, it's just a more, I don't know, sometimes a more impactful way, but, but you're not really, yeah. you're not really doing, you're not really tapping into uh, existing mental frameworks that help people understand things more. Because that's what great visual design does. It taps into something that exists in the brain as a shorthand or an analogy or metaphor, you know, for the thing that you want them to remember. So the, the very best ones um, have, have sort of that kind of connotation. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a big, uh, sort of huge topic of, I mean, it's an pa- absolute passion of mine. In fact, that, that's probably what I've been focusing more on in the last couple of years. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. the, my weirdest, wackiest one at the moment, and I'm not sure it's quite right yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there in case you think it's any good. Um, working with Nigel Hollis. I don't know if you come across Nigel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that guy. Yeah, I, like I don't, mm-hmm. I know of him, but I don't know him. Yeah, yeah. well, we worked together at Cantar for, for many years, and um, we still we still keep in touch regularly. And, um, um, you know, he was talking about the, the sales funnel, you know, and how yeah. it's not a funnel. And what about the time component? And the fact it's it's yeah. if it's more like a circle, a circle. You know, people have their own visual way of thinking about it. Yeah. So he came up with this crazy one. Imagine, oh, I wonder if this will work on a podcast. Oh, imagine it's like a swimming pool, but it's like a circuit, and it's in a loop. It's a circle. So you swim like a lazy river. Like a lazy river. I don't know what is a lazy river. Probably it sounds right. Well, 
It's a, like amusement parks, like oh, yeah, a, yeah. A, a river, and it's got water flow, and you just sit in an inner tube, yeah. and it goes around. Imagine that. Yeah. It goes in a loop like that, people swimming around all in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at, at, at one point, the, the sort of start or end point doesn't matter. A point in the say circle, that's the purchase. Yeah. That's the purchase moment right there. Okay. Yeah. So after that, after the purchase, recent just then, I was trying to think. You know, could you actually give? You know, imagine people had a little refreshment and chose their refreshment. Anyway, whatever they bought them. Yeah. Then of course, some of them swim fast and get round much quicker. Some swim slowly, mm-hmm. and therefore they're not going to buy again for quite a long time. Um, yeah. That whole time period through there, from the start to finish, they're they're not actively thinking about the purchase because they've just you know mm-hmm. when they do it. But as they get up to, to as they come nearer to the end of the circuit, they will start to think about oh well, what do I want? Which one do I want? Sure. Yeah, and you can have like yeah. Per, I, I don't know if this is going with this, but you know you could have like no, posters no. and things, you know, prompting people all yeah, the time. Yeah. But anything that they experience much earlier on can also stick in their mind. They may have made yeah. a decision earlier on from something earlier on. So anyway, I just thought it, it felt more like the, the truth of the matter, which is oh, by the way, also mm-hmm. you, you occasionally have people coming out of the pool because they've had enough swimming. They've left the category forever, yeah. or, no. or at least for, for a while. You have new people coming in, you know, and when they come in, actually, they're probably coming in quite near the, the, the moment of buying, aren't they? You know, that last little yeah. third, less than third, fifth of the, yeah. the circuit. Anyway, I, look, I'm not saying that's a good analogy or not. I haven't put this on my website. I don't think it's good and it's not ready yet. But I think that's the kind of thing where to get people understanding the concept through the metaphor. Yeah. What I love about that, Dan, and sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, there. no, go for it. Um, what I love about that is, and it kind of goes back to, we can even talk about it as soft skills, right? Is the fact that you can think creatively, right? So someone reimagining mm-hmm. what a funnel looks like. I'm, Mark and I are very passionate about the, the idea of the funnel actually not being a funnel, right? We haven't done a podcast on it. And Mark, maybe that's something we oh, should, we that should could do. Be a thing. Yeah, that could be a good one. But it's really that that idea and the flexibility to make sure that you have that ability to think outside of a box or outside mm-hmm. of what is being potentially communicated or or you're being trained on. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark and I are both in school right now, and uh, we had Roger Martin on. I think it was episode three, and we were talking about how we're able to. Um, there's a lot of things that have just been inundated in education and we just keep learning the same things over and over again because no one's really being challenging it at say at that, at that level to kind of say, Hey, maybe this thought process is wrong, right? Maybe mm-hmm. we need to go back and rethink about it. But what I love about these dialogues and these conversations is that it shows that marketing is probably one of the yeah. only disciplines that has so much ambiguity and so much challenge within it. And I think mm-hmm. it, cre- it takes a specific type of person to thrive in it as well mm. because of that. Because you can make it your own. Mm. No one says you mm-hmm. have to do it a specific way. No, that's true. That's one of the beauty, beautiful things about marketing. This, it's still a relatively yeah. young. If, well, is it even a science? It's just, it should be more of a science. It's becoming more of a science. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot. But there's, there will always be a lot of creativity as well, which is, by the way, why, yeah. why I think it's a totally. fascinating area. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Speaking of which, so, I mean, aside from soft skills, um, what kinds of things in marketing um, do you think are important for, let's say, for us, for you guys going forward to learn? 
if maybe where you are in your career or for any marketer um, who's kind of either starting out or listening right now, like what kinds of things should they be learning about? Well, I think something a lot, very few marketers seem to know much about, but every marketer should, in my opinion, would be um, behavioral biases. I think mm-hmm. they mm. are so strong. They are so clearly powerful um, influences on people's behaviors that, yeah. you know, that I think just just a basic, you know, uh, introduction to the board principles and, and the, the biggest, most powerful biases that a marketer needs to be aware of and can, can potentially leverage, actually. Um, I, I would make that a core part of any course, personally. Um, yeah, I, there's, there's um, mm. so just on that note, there's a couple, I know you've got some behavioral biases on your website, Dan, uh, on some of the diagrams. Mm. There's also um, decoding decisions, think with Google, that has some really interesting stuff mm-hmm. um, where they actually test the impact of biases on people's mm-hmm. purchase decisions. Yeah. Um, and then I know like thinking fast, thinking slow, there's a lot there, Rory Sutherland, um, and like Dan Arelli on, on sort of the behavioral economics side of things. And there's lots of, um, work on biases that I think people could dig into. There's some great, yeah, like I say, sure. there's some great books by the authors you just mentioned. And Richard Shotton's book is really good as well, which I can't mm. remember the name of, but it's behind me. So if I, the choice factory, mm-hmm. I, I, literally, oh, I looked, yeah. I read it okay. through the that's amazing yeah that's that I, I really I, I thought that was a very accessible introduction as well so yeah yeah but that no, no question um but but i think storytelling general um storytelling is you know it's it's, a, it's still a hot topic and i think of all of all yeah. the of all the uh, disciplines that would benefit from storytelling i think marketing because there's a lot of you, you have to do a lot of persuading of people in marketing don't you you need to collaborate with almost yeah. every, every um function in a business um yeah and get them all on board for certain aspects of marketing yeah the branding side mm-hmm. uh, so uh, ability to tell it i'm gonna be boring i'm gonna be okay. boring i'm gonna say literally i think what marketers need to be more trained on is just some of the day-to-day business sides of the industry that they're they may be serving i think it's unhealthy for marketers just to stay in the marketing discipline with not truly understanding what the business problems may be. So I would argue that I would like to see marketers invest more time with the likes of um, people in finance, accounting, um, and really try to have a, a stronger grasp of mm-hmm. you know the, 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 the day-to-day operation of the business that should help identify either problem statements that the marketing needs to solve, or at the very Mm -hmm. least they're equipped with the right language when they are talking to these individuals, instead of just using them to ask for money every year, once a year, Mm -hmm. it's the only time we ever come into contact with accounting or finance. Right. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's a missed opportunity for marketers if they're not spending that time with their peers. And um, I guess it would have aired by now, but you know, we had a great conversation with uh, Dave Bunce. I think it was Mark Mm -hmm. that kind of, went into that and all the things that we should be doing as marketers to kind of stay closer to our counterparts in those disciplines. Yeah. I'd back that up Yeah, completely. Um, I th- it's interesting. One of the, I didn't think it was very popular, but one of the most popular um, diagrams I did was with marketing in mind. And it's just a basic um, uh, definition, visual definition of, of all the right. sort of key terms, financial terms, you know, yeah, you know, profit and, and and margin, and uh, you know it's quite basic, yeah. but 
I don't think a lot of marketers actually know what they are and what they have. No. And, and even and even more importantly, I think, would be how, how to put together a basic business case for something. Yeah, just, totally. just the process, not, not the detail, not sort of all the maths or anything, but just what makes it, you know, and, and the difference between short and long term and why a finance person might need to consider both. Yeah. More, more, mm-hmm. You know, that just those basic 101 of, of yeah. um, commercial there's there's fundamentally a reason why marketers get all up in a hissy fit when they when they dis, sorry when our disciplines being perceived as a cost center but have mm-hmm. we had that conversation with finance and, and accounting to understand why it's being visualized as a cost center yeah, yeah. and how to explain yeah exactly how to talk around that right of, of why whether it's yeah. exactly um and how it could be compared with other things or not compared and why yeah exactly mm-hmm. agreed yeah, that yeah, those are really good. I I think for me, um, there's two things. One is there's this um, what's the guy's name? George Box, statistician. If you can probably find this quote online with a meme, but um, all models are useful. Or sorry, all models are wrong, but some are useful. <laughs> and that one for me is like just such a great thing to keep in the back of my I have, it's almost like software running in the back of my mind all the time where it's it's just on repeat and why i like it so much is because we talk about things like the marketing funnel and it's wrong it's useful but it's wrong yes. yeah um you know there's there's the messy middle that google did there's zmot there's the consumer decision journey james hankins has has the hankins hexagon I mean, there there's the lazy river. There's all these models out there just to try and explain how consumers buy stuff. And they're all wrong, but they're useful in various ways. So like, I think it's important for marketers to think about that because th- that those models then become sort of the mental models that guide your behavior and guide the way you see the world or the way you see consumers. And a yeah. lot of times they're not that way um like there is no such thing as bofu in or tofu in the minds of a customer there's just like i'm looking for something and so you know we kind of it's they're useful but they're wrong so that's that's one the other one i think is um that i've you know dan you and i've talked before um about a lot of the stuff from the Ehrenberg Bass Institute and for me as like a science guy like that's the stuff that I was looking for forever and that there are definitive proof points and evidence on how people buy Mm -hmm. that's scientifically proven over and over and over again so there's such a thing as evidence-based marketing just like there was evidence-based medicine when I was in pharma that has really changed a lot of the ways that I think um and so it's been exciting for me because all of a sudden there's this new field of marketing that's kind of opening up like behavioral economics, like a lot of the stuff Aaron Bass Institute or the LinkedIn's B2B Institute doing some collaboration with them. Like there's all kinds of stuff. Kantar did some great work with Paul Dyson yeah. back in the day. Like there's amazing stuff that's out there. And so long and the short of it, even um, like that kind of stuff is I think really great fundamental things for a lot of marketers to learn. You know, I think Mark, you bring up some, some interesting ideas there in terms of, you know, the literature that exists in so many different um, spaces in our discipline. But I think I can, that's probably why it is so 
intriguing to work in it. And I love you, yeah. that you use that uh, the context of like getting goosebumps. How can you not get excited about, okay, maybe I'm just a geek now, but the idea of redefining the funnel for me is actually exciting, you know, mm-hmm. trying to have, and the three of us right now are not going to be the only ones that have that same thought process, but it takes a specific type of individuals that's willing to kind of nitpick at something that could be, you know, predetermined. I am honestly, I am sick of hearing about the upper funnel, the mid funnel mm-hmm. and the lower funnel. I absolutely despise it. So I, I'm really kind of taking down to your lazy river analogy because I think there's something there. Okay, so if, so if it looks any good, but I'll tell you what I'm most excited about that. Yeah, just going back to what you're saying and the, and the science. Um, I was lucky enough to do some work. In fact, it's probably finally going to be coming out in about a week or two to look out for it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of involves summarizing uh, some of the visually in, in, in a very mm-hmm. one pager diagram, <laughs> um, Byron Sharp's findings. And, I, mm-hmm. uh, and I've done the same for five other leading academics who have differing views. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of a series of, of talks from about a year ago. So I'm, I'm hoping to come up. But, but the thing that fascinates me most is obviously there's, there's quite a lot of commonality, but where there's differences, I, I, I kind of, I'm all over. And the one mm-hmm. that's coming up, there are some incredibly intelligent uh, and uh, well, uh, uh, what's the word? Robust practitioners of marketing with a, you know, mm-hmm. either a scientific or at least a pseudo scientific background, which I know isn't always ideal, but. Right, who mm-hmm. are, who passionately believe in the, the the value of being different, differentiation as opposed yeah. to mm-hmm. being distinctive, right? And there are connections yeah. to do, which is also fascinating. But I need to find out the truth. You know, is it yeah. is it adequate and correct to be meaninglessly distinctive, or is there a true value, a long term value, not just yeah, in having a d- d- differentiated offer? And what exactly do we mean? But, but mm-hmm. exactly is the difference between those two because there's a lot of confusion between those two because, yeah, you know, the only way I can think about it in my head is what, what um, I understand um, Byron Sharp talks about is differentiation in a in sense of functional, you know, product differentiation. Mm-hmm. But because otherwise everything else yeah. is just dis- ways of creating distinctiveness in my head. Yeah. I was thinking like, mm-hmm. you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but you can always edit it out if it's no good. But you think about Italian, <laughs> right? Supposing you're the only brand in a market, like a beer market. Like, I don't it's a bit hypothetical, so I know there's more than one. But, and you're the only Italian beer. The rest are all French and Belgian or something like that. And that mm-hmm. is, it's, it's differentiated by value of its provenance, right? It's made in a different mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Grown from hops from therefore different slopes, it is technically functionally different it probably tastes much the same right but it is different mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. and the right the obvious thing to do there from a market's point of view would probably probably be to leverage up the fact it's italian and i can almost imagine the advertising now and we can see the slopes mm-hmm. of tuscany or wherever it is uh, uh or, <laughs> it's funny enough i'm thinking about going to orvieto next, next summer so it's probably in my head um and and, mm-hmm. and and that could make a highly distinctive campaign that helps the brand stick out and be memorable and mentally available, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Is that differentiation? Or is it that you mm-hmm. manage to use its differentiation as inspiration for its distinctiveness? 
Sorry, I know mm-hmm. it's a bit of an interview yeah. with two clever people and having a little chat, but I do spend study on my own, you know, for far too, far too many hours without. without <laughs> but yeah. I thought I'd just plan that. I do. Maybe it's a different podcast, but I'd love to do one. No, it's well, it's interesting because we had Mary Kirikidi on from Kantar, and she was talking about the Kantar's. Um, uh, meaningful action, or what's it called again? The, the meaningful different framework. This it's usually called. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they're big on, and they, they're one of the ones I, I don't. Maybe that's not who you're talking about, but I know they're one of the ones that promote differentiation. Um, yeah. And then oh, the other camp is distinctiveness. Yeah, but the measure, the, the measure. It, sorry, but I, I was, I, I was one of the architects of Brand Z, which pre, was the precursor to the meaningful different framework. And the meaningful right. framework has most of the same questions. The way that Cantor will measure differentiation is literally the question, um, it offers something different or, or it either offers something different from others or is different from other brands, yeah. right? How different is it from yeah. brands? Well, if you're a highly distinctive brand, you're going to say yes to that question, you know. Sure. Of course you're. So it's like when you are, because we're talking about survey research, we're doing survey research, people interpret it however is the easiest way to answer that question. A highly distinct yeah. brand will, will, will potentially do well on this question called differentiation. So it's a little bit, right. it's a little bit misleading in a way. And the, there is a, a bigger blurring than people will admit. Yeah. We did something at Cantor, I've got to be careful here because I don't want to do anything that's, you know, I, I shouldn't say, but no, no but it's okay because everyone Bass have, have published it. When you actually look at, actual difference in terms of like image profiles, the, the actual, you know, actually most of that is mm-hmm. size. You, you tend to have very, very similar uh, pattern of response across a whole host mm-hmm. of uh, images. There are differentiations, but they're really small. So there isn't a lot of real yeah. differentiation if you measure it in that other way. So yeah. I, I, I still, I think, I think they're both yeah. right, but I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, where, when and how to um, set have a narrative that, that explains why both these apparently contradictory things are not contradictory at all. I think we're nearly there. Yeah. Um, we just yeah. get more debates like this. Well, even, even like that as one of those examples of a model, like different, like forever I had heard, well, you have to be different. Like that's how brands grow and, and, yeah. and brands grow or when you build a brand, you're trying to create something completely different and unique and that that's the thing that's going to create, uh, uh, improve your price elasticity. So people will be willing to pay more for it and so on and so forth. And you have all these loyal fans and that's like the, you know, the end goal. Yeah. And, and so like, that's a model. And I lived with that in my head for a long time, thinking that was really the only way to go. And then this kind of a conversation and some of the other work that's out there. And I think <clears throat> going back to your point earlier, Dan, about curiosity being so important. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a really, it, because it is a young field marketing yeah. and because there's not a lot of things that are figured out. Like if you're an engineer, you know, like that you the have to gravity. live with the law of gravity <laughs> when you're building something like a bridge, let's say, yeah. and you know, there's, there's wind forces that you have to deal with if you're building a building and all those kinds of things. And in marketing, it's not quite as cut and dry. So I just love the idea of curiosity and continuing to like question some of the things that are there, especially if they don't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Because you do. I mean, it is hard when you read these summaries that, that, that are going to come out and you, you read one and read the other and you think, they can't both be right. But they probably are. <laughs> like, like I said, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always thought difference, difference. I was brought up in the, in the, the Cantal way of thinking in particular, you know, despite my reservations about the, exactly how we're defining it. 
<clears throat> but then you, I'm convinced also from, from later and from the back bass evidence that if you're a, a big established brand, right, the only way you're going to become bigger is because if you become more things to everyone, you know, more things to everyone or more things to more people. It's the only way you're going to grow. In other words, by definition, that is less, less differentiated, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dove is huge. It used to be incredibly differentiated. It was a bar of uh, cleansing bar that doesn't dry your skin because it has moisturizer. It was the only one that had moisturizer. And it was like that for de- literally decades. And it's spread around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, it does all of these different things, but it still has that mm-hmm. moisturizer in it. So I'm thinking, okay, okay, is that a differentiator or is that just a... It's mm-hmm. highly so I kind of think, and also, but also, we also know if you try and have a, a, a new brand and you go into a supermarket, if it's a packaged goods brand, and you say, yeah, mm-hmm. this actually is exactly like all the other ones you've got already on your shelf, um, but don't worry, we're going to have some really distinctive advertising. They're just going to laugh in your face. You're never going to get it stocked because it's like, well, why should people mm-hmm. buy it? Well, they won't, not logically. I'm just going to be meaningless distinctive. <laughs> okay. What? Oh, no, mm-hmm. who's going to yeah. buy it? Are they going to spend more on this one than, than something they're already buying? And in, in which case, I make more money and you can have some money. Right. Therefore, you know, in the practical world, differentiation for, for a new entrant to an established market is essential. They're both true. Yeah. It's clear that I'm sure that's true. And I'm sure it's also true that if you're a big brand, you have to be more things to more people and actually become less differentiated than maybe yeah. before. I could waffle on for age about this one. I just need, I need to. <laughs> That's another podcast I feel. <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you guys. I mean, you know, not, not specifically about differentiation, but just learning, like how much of this is on you and versus how much should we expect from the company? Ooh, this is um, a good one. It, like if you're, like if you're taking your own career into your own hands, like yeah. should you just be doing everything on your own or, or how do, how do you guys see that? I'll, I'll kick us off, Dan. So in my opinion, you do not wait for training. If you wait for training, companies will paint you into a little box. Mm-hmm. Now, you can make sure you're assuming or taking control of that. And it could be, again, we talked about moving laterally and trying to make sure you're diversifying your skill set. But don't wait to be trained. There's things on the job that you'll be trained for. So when I joined the airline industry, it was the first time. I I was a part of that industry. So Mm -hmm. naturally I would learn by being in the role itself, but the evolution of that is not on the airline. It's on me as an individual where I want to take my career, say in the airline industry Mm -hmm. as an example. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for self-learning. I'm a huge advocate to make sure that you're doing your own, your own research and you're paving that path or creating that your own framework, if you will. Um, Because I've seen this, Companies will look past you if you're not being boisterous. They'll just look past you and they'll keep moving. It's like, you know what? V's doing what he has to do. He's being quiet. He's producing mm-hmm. the work that we need to. No need to poke a hornet's nest, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I I'm fundamentally believe like it is on you as an individual. And tr- it will happen outside of work hours. To all, our, to all the listeners out there thinking they're going to get mm-hmm. all this training at work within the eight hours a day. I'm telling you, it's not a thing. Self-growth mm-hmm. happens outside of those eight hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely agree that the onus is has got to be much more mainly on the individual. I think. I think. I think companies do have a, a responsibility for providing access to certain basic amounts yeah. of of learning content and opportunities. 
that that's that's true. And I, I think actually things like LinkedIn Learning or equivalent um, buying that in, it's it's quite expensive for an individual to do that. But uh, yeah, but, but more effective for an organisation, more cost effective. And then you know that that gives people the you know the chance to to to, to do that and work. But but also I think you know making sure that ma- part of a manager's responsibility is the development of the people who work mm-hmm. with them. I think that should just be a, a corporate thing, which also helps because because mm-hmm. they can then facilitate finding like opportunities or yeah. activities, etc. Um, but I do think yeah essentially the individual yeah. to figure out what, what, what their gaps are, um, where they should prioritise their learning and to make sure they get it. And they can ask and try and get what they can. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a very big difference, I think, between the technical skills and the, and the soft skills. I mean, in, in, obviously, yeah. the, the more technical it is, the more likely that the company will They'll be in the job. They might have a particular way that they do it that is actually different anyway. So yeah. mm-hmm. like, there's no other way of finding it out. Agreed. It's more on the... Yeah. It's more on the soft skills, I think, uh, that are going to be important in the longer run, or if you want to f- change career direction. And it's probably those yeah. that mm-hmm. probably do need at least a, a checklist. Um, well, actually, I mean, essentially, that's kind of was the, the, the thought process behind, behind the soft skills book anyway, is yeah. some guidance mm-hmm. if you want it. You know, as and when you want to, first time you, um, you have a line report, you know, how do I manage a person? First time you have your own yeah. mm-hmm. bigger team. What, what should I be thinking about? How do I run a team meeting? You know, you do need, you just need pointers. Um, and then after that, a lot of it is, yeah. is a lot of it is practice, just doing it and getting better. Yeah. But you do need, that's yeah. what you find a framework. So a framework can, can save you a lot of time and help you yeah. get, get more out of your practice. Yeah. But it's not until repetition sets in till you actually start becoming, I don't want to call it a master, but getting really comfortable yeah. in it. But it yeah. is like the the framework does become the cheat code. So mm-hmm. anytime you can engage with in dialogue with those that have done it, those have been in it for longer than maybe you have, that wealth of knowledge or that framework that they may provide is essentially you taking mm-hmm. it and involving it for yourself. And I think Mark, Mark, you and I, you know, we would have just started our, our new roles by the time this pod releases. But I know the first few weeks are going to be all about that discovery, right? Totally. People that we need to talk to, people that we totally. need to lean into. Yeah. Um, to kind of help pave, okay, so how do I position myself? How do I make sure I get all the information I need? But that that's on us to really do yeah. and reach out. And there's only so much the organization will do for you because yeah. you're being hired for a reason. I, I think yeah. a good bit of advice, and I wish I could remember where this came from. I don't know, you may have heard the same, but I, I, I think it's well worth repeating, is the concept that when you decide on whether to take on a new job, a new task, a new team, a new whatever, mm. Probably the most important question you can ask yourself is what can I what can I learn from this person I'd be I'll be working closely with or the people I'll be yeah. working closely with? Can I what can I learn? Mm-hmm. Do, I, do I think I've got lots to learn from them and what? Um, and if you're like, oh yeah, absolutely, then that, that's a good choice. If it's you know, never work for someone, I don't think, that can't help you develop because that's a waste of time. You'll just be treading water, really. Because you do learn mm-hmm, yeah. your your line manager has the potential anyway. To, to help help you learn an awful lot and a lot faster than having to do it all, you know, self-reading, etc. On your own. Yeah. Yeah. So but I would Yeah, as a as a, a a manager of people, like the one model I fell in love with was the concept of flow. So mm. yeah, again, wrong, but mm. super useful. Um yeah. and so like this idea of an infinite, like if you believe in people's ability to grow and like some of the stuff you had earlier talked about, Dan, um, in terms of like things you like or things that you could be good at and, you know, it's making you make enough money. And I forget the third mo- uh, 
then circle. There's a lot of overlap there with Dan Pink stuff in terms of personal motivation as well, which is people genuinely aren't motivated by pure financial rewards. More often, it's things like autonomy, mastery, sense of purpose. So why I like flow, and there's a whole bunch of models that we just threw out there, but why I like flow is the idea that I can... I can stay in the zone in my own career or get out of a funk. If, if I think about a new project that's going to challenge my skills and in, and um, develop new skills. And it's, you know, slightly out of reach and that idea of like striving for something that's new and different. And so I use that model all the time for myself and for staff that I'm managing. Cause it's for me, super helpful to create, create a, project within somebody's role that's going to challenge them mm. develop new skills give them new opportunities and then bit by bit progress them through you know opportunities of learning <laughs> i do the same thing for myself too like v and i both are doing our mbas like I, I had done a personal mba like the goodwill hunting kind of thing like created my own mba when i couldn't afford to pay for an mba and yeah like i just think there's there's always projects that you can create that are going to challenge you and help you learn new things and i mean for me that's been such an exciting opportunity knowing that i can control my own destinies to some degree let me let me ask you both this because you know listening to you obviously you come uh with a wealth of knowledge from your respective disciplines and and whatnot but what's been those motivators for you to really look to take out take on more or look outside of what the you know the, the box may look like and you know Dan, you talked about your career and now you're an, an author as well. Like, what was that motivator for you? And then Mark, the same thing for you. I mean, my big motivator has always been, can I build something here? That's the phrase that always comes in. Can I create something or develop something? And, and it really, right. for me, it didn't matter too much what it was. The motivator was, you know, can I make something like a team? Can I make this new function? So I started up in, in, in one of my, one of the units with uh, marketing. We didn't really have marketing. Yeah start up the function like can i do this you know it, it's it's that you know how can i do this and the the the, the idea that uh, over time something we put in place that's a success is just very motivating you know, creating stuff and that's why you know every week i'll, I'll draw some new framework or or rework a, another one or or try and express something in a new way so that that drive for kind of novelty no not novelty but new creativity but that's, I guess that's yeah. my personal relation and the discovery and the things you learn along the way is, is part of the reward. Yeah. Mark? Uh, I think for me, it's um, like, I think back to the things that are consistent throughout my career. And it's similar to what Dan is saying, like creating something. But I also, um, going back to that story about, you know, these old guys being there at the bar and going, Oh, you just missed the good old days. I always wanted to like help build things and make things better. Like the idea that, uh, probably the thing that motivates me more than anything is just to know what the right thing is. Like mm. I, I, what's effective in marketing. And I think that's part of the exciting thing of where marketing is going right now. Like I right. genuinely want to solve the Wanamaker dilemma. Because it's not super complicated. <laughs> like, I don't think it's as complicated as what we thought about it like 100 years ago. There's yeah. a lot of things that would tell us that these things are right, these things are wrong. Uh, there's a lot more evidence that's out there. And I think it's exciting because, um, 
you know, like I, I hate the idea of people thinking of mar marketing is the coloring department. I really like marketing. I think it adds tons of value for an organization. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I wanted to like, that's the thing that's motivating me more than anything probably is just proving the value of marketing. Yeah. It's awesome. I think for me, when, uh, when I look at it, motivators are really it comes down to how far can I stretch myself? Not in the, in the, in, in I guess in the negative connotation, like I'm taking on too much, but mm -hmm. it's like, how far can I take my creative thinking? Uh, even if we mark you and I, this podcast, you know, mm -hmm. this was an outlet for us to get creative. Mm -hmm. And at least that's the way I've, I've been able to perceive it. I never ever would have written somewhere in my ambitions to be a podcast host, mm -hmm. but it's probably one of the most rewarding things that I've taken on. And I absolutely love every moment. So it's one of those things, like I like the ability to see how far I can go outside of my comfort zones. Um, and that intrinsically serves as a motivator for me. Even mm -hmm. moving to this new role, I've never done, quote unquote, consulting before, but I'm a very opinionated marketer. So it, one would believe that it's a very natural fit for mm -hmm. someone like, like me. So I'm genuinely excited to see how far this will take me. But yeah. I'm also, you know, at the end of the day, looking at it as growth. So I like to, in my mind, I use the word stretch, um, but it's like stretch outside of um, yeah. a preconceived notion of what I do. So, Okay, final question. Let's if you could give yourself one piece of your younger self, one piece of advice, what would you say? I know Dan already told us, but Dan, you, 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 I, I think it's been... I've got, uh, I've got a soppy one. I might do the soppy one. <laughs> no, my other one was a, just a, a classic. Um, make sure you, you study hard enough to get into the university, the same university, and pick the same course, even though it turns out probably not to be your perfect course, because otherwise you wouldn't have met your wife, in the, your future wife, you know, in the first term, and you wouldn't have had your two kids, so necessarily. So, you know... Well, I'm one, but, you know, it's, I, I think it. So that's my answer. Well, it's very concise. I'm going to jump on a soapbox. It won't be, it won't be very long, but it's going to be quick. Um, for me, really, it's um, be okay to play the long game. Honestly, that's, mm -hmm. that's probably one of the, the biggest ones. I think we all get caught up in looking peripherally and saying, oh, my gosh, look at Dan. Dan's, you know, CEO now. Mark's become an EVP. Why am mm -hmm. I still a director? You know, mm -hmm. and I think everyone's time will come. And if don't be myopic in when you're looking to structure your career, I think you have to start looking at it as peripherally as possible, mm -hmm. getting a lot of that. And I love your analogy down to being the climbing wall. And then a way to do that is to manage your career in essentially like um, 18 month increments. So one thing that I've been a huge believer in is you set a three, five and seven year goal but manage your career through 18 month increments. And in doing so, it actually makes your career very tangible and you can really kind of focus and say, this next, next 18 months, I need to achieve this. If I don't achieve this, then I have mm -hmm. to see what I'm going to do for that next 18 months. Do I recommit to this organization, to this leader? We both, all of us, I think have had great line managers, but we've also had horrible line managers. And mm -hmm. all too often, we, you never want to be caught in that space. But I think if you look at it, in a way that you provide some of that structure, I think, and play the long game, I actually mm -hmm. think you'll be better off for it. 
And there's times in your career where you just want to, I don't want to use the term settle, but you just want balance mm -hmm. and that's okay. And be okay with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice. True. Um, for me, I'm actually going to say a model. <laughs> I can, this is wrong, but <laughs> it's wrong. Cause I really wish I'd heard about mental and physical availability <clears throat> when I, a long time ago, and I didn't uh, know about it, but for me, that's such a like really interesting entry point into learning more about marketing science, marketing effectiveness. Like if you start there, um, like I took mm -hmm. this meandering path to get there and it was fine because I learned a whole bunch of things kind of like Dan and all the experiences you were talking about that came with going to the school you did and all that. I mean, same kind of thing for me starting in sales and getting into marketing and then, you know, meandering through the, you know, learning about the funnel and then the consumer yeah. decision journey and so on and so forth. But from a marketing perspective, I think um, the mental and physical availability is really strong. And as a starting, like, don't assume it's right, but start with there. And then like, I'm constantly just trying to figure out things that come from that because I think it's really useful um, in a marketing Agreed. career. I agree. Great points. Yeah. Guys, this is fun. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. This is fantastic. This is yeah, fantastic. Dan, I know the book's got tons, soft skills specifically, has tons of uh, really great um, models and ideas and, and everything in there from the power stories to meeting invitations. Uh, how can people find out more about the book and about what you've got going on? Um, the easiest way. I mean, everything I have goes on to smartmarketing.me, my website. Okay. So you can find out about the books, um, the two Genuinely decent books are on there, um, and all my all, all my frameworks and diagrams are available there as well for free. It doesn't actually have all of the soft skills ones on there. It will eventually, but it's got all the business and marketing ones already. So eventually, perfect. I, I, we'll make sure we add that link into the show notes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm very always keen to meet new people on, on LinkedIn and connect on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I can't remember my I can't remember my. My LinkedIn name. I'm, I'm definitely Dan White. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just right. You have an <laughs> alias. Weirdly <laughs> uh, enough, I can't remember. Um, but it's uh, it's Dan White, author of the Smart Marketing book. Is that you know the description? So yeah. Hopefully. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Forget my I'm name on LinkedIn. Uh, we're we're going to make that a promo <laughs> quote, honestly. <laughs> Which is ironic, isn't it? I'm, I'm very into the personal branding stuff with all the fonts <laughs> <laughs> and colors and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this awesome. was great yeah thanks guys thanks, it was really fun to chat <laughs>